bring about something good from something not good. And I think the problem is the opposite, right? It's, it's the plant, not the planter. It's me, not him. And we are reminded in this passage that we are God's planting. And what does he call us? Not just a planting, but a, is it a pleasant planting? Sorry, I lost my place. Planted with choice vines, and then later uh, the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, verse 7. And the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And there is who we are supposed to be, and then there's who we are in reality. And those are the two sides of the coin that I want us to look at today that I think God is, is bringing forth in this portion of Isaiah, this idea that there is a current reality in which we live that is not our ultimate reality. There is the, the truth of who we are, and then there's the promise of who God wants us to become. And so as we look at these themes of separation and salvation and sanctuary, let's begin in, in these passages with this idea that first, God wants us to see things for how they are. He wants us to see our lives, our hearts, the world as it really is. He wants us to understand and accept the, the beginning point of our reality. One of the things we see in these passages is clearly that the way things are, one thing is true. God is loving. He is a loving God who plants his people in good soil and gives them every opportunity, every instrument to grow and flourish and thrive and yield fruit. He provides for us abundantly and he desires for us to grow into fruitful people. This is the heart of God toward us. He is gracious and providential. He is desirous of our growth. And he is right to call out our sin. So if, if you've been reading through the book of Isaiah at all, you do see it's, it's abundantly clear that Isaiah is focused on God's judgment against sin. And this may seem like a rather unpleasant uh, theme or topic to dwell upon, but Isaiah is bringing forth something that we need to hear. And if you think about it, it makes sense. So, if we are sinful, if we are messed up and selfish and um, wrongfully ambitious for our own good, what should God do? Should he just let it slide? Should he forget about it? Should he not worry about it? Well, if he took that tack, then it would be every 
man and woman for themselves, right? It would be, what's that, Lord of the Flies. Um, if, on the other hand, God wants to bring about this, this fruitful people, he needs to get our attention focused first on what separates us from him, to bring out the truth of what's in our hearts. And when he does this, this is actually a function of his love. It's because he loves us that he is calling out of us something other than selfishness and pride and lust. And so God is at work. And it's because he loves us that he calls out these aspects of our hearts that are in need of change. So to see things how they are, we have to see that God is loving and that in his love, he wants to, to reckon with those things in our hearts that are not right or good and ultimately that will not yield fruit. So things how they are, God is loving, we are wild. We're, I don't know, out of control. And I, I think about this in my own, in just in relation to myself, right? If left to myself, I'm only about me. I'm only about self-preservation, self-satisfaction, self-advancement, whatever you want to put after self, that's where I begin. But when I read God's word and I hear him say that I have a problem, something begins to change. My focus gets off of my prideful view of me and onto a healthier understanding of the fact that I am not the savior of the world. In fact, I'm part of the problem. I need a savior. We need a savior. And so this idea that we are a rebellious lot is an important starting point. If we're to see things how we are, how they are, we have to acknowledge that we are wild. And Isaiah chapter 3 verse 9 reminds us that, that what we have done in our sin has brought the consequences of that sin upon ourselves. Now, I am not saying that if some calamity has occurred in your life, that it's because of some particular sin that you committed that God is bringing this about upon you, right? What, what I'm saying is we are sinful, and because of that, we are separated from God, and because of that, we are often left to sort things out or, or we find ourselves in a position where we are sorting things out on our own. We make bad decisions or we don't, and calamity comes upon us either, well, for any variety of reasons. So, the reason I use the word calamity is in chapter 3, verse 9. It says, 
They proclaim their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to them. They have brought evil on themselves. That word evil is probably better translated as destruction or calamity or disaster. They've brought negative consequences upon themselves. So <laughs> I, I, I want you to understand something. God loves you. He's not out to get you. He tells us these things so that we wake up, we see that our hearts are oriented wrongly, and we repent, which means we turn around and we go the other direction. We move towards what is right and good and holy and true. I, I am not saying that bad things happen to you because of sins you have committed in your life. I'm saying because we live in a sinful world, bad things happen all the time, all over the place. They're not the result of one thing that you did. We all have a sin problem that transcends what we do. It, it, it reaches down to who we are. And so from that place, when we are honest about who we really are, how wild our hearts are, and how loving our God is, we are at the right starting point for redemption. God wants us to understand when he uses this metaphor of the vineyard that our sin is important. It's a matter of spiritual life and death. That this is what separates us from our loving God. And therefore, it needs to be dealt with. And so, as we acknowledge our sin and we repent of our sin, when I turn away from the sin and calamity in my life, when I turn the other way, what's there? God, love, joy, peace. You get the idea. And so, we start by seeing things for how they are. We are in, there's a tension in our relationship between a loving God and a wild people. And thankfully, God provides a way to resolve this tension. So after we see things for how they are, we are then called to make things as they should be. We are called to be a part of the solution. We begin this process by looking to the Messiah. Isaiah chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. This is the first place out of, I think, three or four places, other places in the book of Isaiah, where he picks up this branch metaphor that, that God is, is, this, is creating this new growth out of which will come hope and salvation and redemption for his people. So listen to these words. Isaiah 4, 2 and 3, in that day, the branch of the Lord, that's a messianic statement. So in that day, the Messiah shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land shall be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. And he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy, everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem. And this, this branch, this Messiah, this this sprouting of hope into the world, we call him Jesus. 
the original audience of this text would not have known that name, but Isaiah will give them several names by which they can call the Messiah throughout this work. You will see that develop. We are to know that his salvation is glorious and his sanctuary is eternal. So think about this. We in our sin create only calamity. God in his mercy and his grace in sending the Messiah reverses that equation and brings about growth and fruit and good. And so this is that place that we all need to return to in our own hearts, to turn away from our own sinful inclinations and to turn toward the hope that is in the Messiah. And as we look to the Messiah, it is there when we realize what he has done for us that God sort of flips the script and says, before, all you were really doing was creating calamity and chaos and hurt, and now I want to actively engage you in the process of redemption, of being a people who, who are cultivated to the point where they bear fruit that nourishes the people around them, that is pleasant and good and wonderful. And what does this fruit look like? If we are to get to where God wants us, we are called to humility. I will warn you, I, I don't recommend praying for humility. I, I've done that before, and I regretted it. Whatever you want, I'm good. But humility is something God wants to cultivate in our hearts. This is the ground that he wants to turn up and bring good out of. And if you think about it, if I am humbled by what Christ went through from on my behalf, and you are humbled by what Christ went through on your behalf, we are then able to be in harmony with each other. It is that humility of the cross and our position before it that makes us brothers and sisters in Christ, that makes me no better than you, that makes you no better than me or anyone else. I have a deep-rooted need for the gospel, for the good news that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that he's the hope of the world, and that he went to the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. And when I'm humbled by that, and you are humbled by that, we're not jerks to each other, and we're actually in a much better position to move out into the world and be something that is pleasant to the hearts of those around us. And so, we, in order to get to where God wants us to be, we must be humble first and foremost. And then we must be those who demonstrate justice and righteousness in the world. This is 
something that we must cultivate on several levels. Like I have to look at this question of, of justice and righteousness on a personal level. How is God calling me to impact these themes in the world around me? How is he calling me to, to stand up for or against injustice? How is he calling me to demonstrate righteousness or to step into a situation where unrighteousness has wreaked havoc and be a source of grace and peace and strength and hope? And then we have to ask this question corporately. How do we as a church engage in these themes in ways that are redemptive and constructive and helpful to people around us? And those questions never stop being asked in this life. I do n- you do not need me to tell you how screwed up this world is. You, you just don't. Um, but the question is, what are we going to do about it? How do we respond to the chaos in front of us? Do we whine about it? Or do we look to our Savior and out of the humility and gratitude of what he has done for us, step into the chaos and bring about order and good and kindness and grace. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we are humbled by your word. And yet, Lord, as sinful as we are, you have not left us there. In fact, you have lifted our heads through the the grace and love of your son, Jesus Christ, his work on the cross. You have lifted our heads to see the light of hope and glory eternal. You have taken us from a state of separation from you and worked out your salvation in our hearts through the Messiah. And you have set before us the eternal promise of sanctuary in your presence. Lord, help us to live out of that strength today. To know in every moment, in every interaction, that you are calling us to bear fruit, the fruit of justice and righteousness in our lives and in the world around us. Lord, keep us aware of who we are and how loving you are and what you are calling out of us, that you want to bear fruit in our lives that brings about good in this world. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.